I'm Lauren Sterling, and this is Ordinary Grit, the podcast where I talk to ordinary people who have overcome and are doing amazing things, because your story has power. Today, you're going to hear from two friends who are truly doing life together, spouses, kids, church, loss, and grief, the unexplainable. We hope you are massively encouraged and inspired to not only be a different kind of friend, but to live so boldly and intentionally. Thank you guys so much for showing up and sitting in a little tiny space with me. This is the first time that I've ever had two people in here at the same time. So I'm going to kind of introduce how I know you and why we chose to do it this way. I had this idea and when neither of you said it was stupid, then I was like, all right, maybe this is, maybe this is a thing. So I have two people. I have Jen and I have Monica. Jen, how do we know each other? Mm, it's a long a long story how we know each other. No, we met in high school in youth group and in high school together, but mostly got to know each other through youth group yeah. and then had a super tight bonding church camp experience. Okay. I think that's what kind of kicked it all off. Okay. And then went to college together and didn't know each other a whole lot when we went into college. I mean, friends, but not, you know. Not like going to live together yeah. for four years yeah. and yeah. walk through all kinds of things. Yes. So yeah, yeah. So we were college roommates mm-hmm. for four years, mm-hmm. which girls surviving four years living together is impressive. Is impressive. So <laughs> I thought you were gonna say that I like came up to you and told you that you, you were, were living with me. <laughs> I kind of did that. Yeah, so, but it I worked. Don't really remember what possessed me, but you know, we'll call that the Lord. So, mm-hmm. so yes, college roommates and lots of mutual friends and lots of life mm-hmm. over lots of years. Yeah, lots so, of years. We've been out of college for a minute now. So yeah. I don't feel that old. So I think what happened and how then I got acquainted with your story, Monica, was, you can tell me if I'm wrong, Jen. I think when Scott was sick, you were telling me about your friend Mm -hmm. who was either, I don't know, timing, going through a hard thing or had, had been. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know the timing. Yeah. It was so, I remember just texting everybody I knew when we were praying for Monica and for Axel and her family. So I think there was a little bit of like, hey, here's this story that's happening. I need everybody that I know that prays to pray and to keep when praying. It was, when it was happening. Yeah. Like that part of the story. Okay. Yep. So maybe that is true. Because I do feel like I knew about your story while it was happening. Yeah. And then I think probably then my grief mm-hmm. made things circle back where mm-hmm. then you were talking to me about her again. Yep. Okay. Yep. So we didn't meet in real life. Then until I was like, hey, I would like to talk to you about being on a podcast. So (laughs) I knew about you. I don't know what you knew about me. So let's maybe talk a little bit about you guys were friends because of church, right? Mm -hmm. You were in. So what did that just kind of regular life? Yeah. Kind of. I I, I know there's like a before and after Monica for your life a little bit because that's how my life is. So before, what was your friendship? What did that entail? Yeah. Like we met in the best possible way that you can meet in church in preschool ministry. And so we got to do it together for many years. Mm -hmm. We just connected. You know, we were like puzzle pieces. We have so much in common. Our kids are similar ages. We just really fed off of each Mm -hmm. other and balanced each other. And it just bloomed into a beautiful friendship Mm -hmm. from there. And then we coincidentally both left the city yep. and moved into the country on acreage property in the same city at the same time. Yeah, like weeks apart. Yeah, 
and our stories just continued, you know, to parallel together. And now we are just the best of friends. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. So then Monica, talk a little bit about, I, I realize your story is not, this is not the only piece of your story that, that all of us have, have different pieces, but this is kind of the kickoff to what made me want to pull Jen in mm-hmm. the way that, the way that that, the way that God used some of that, the way it's challenged both of you. So again, I know it's not the only piece of your story, but it is a pivotal piece that did some changing to your faith. So tell as little or as much as you want about kind of your, the the most recent life altering. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. So I would have classified myself as just your typical mom. Have my family. We're doing all the things. We had a very typical Saturday of soccer went to the library, cleaning the house, all the things. And then within moments, we had a really traumatic accident at our property. And our son, Axel, who was our youngest, our only boy, who's 19 months, had fallen into the pond. And when we realized that he was even out of the house and began to frantically look for him, we found him. He was non-responsive. Fast forward, we were in the hospital for a week praying just for healing and for all the things, and God called him home was the ultimate outcome of that. Of course, that was the most traumatic thing that's ever happened in my life and really permeated me personally. And one of the takeaways from that time, like Jen mentioned, texting everyone and reaching out to every single person who would ever possibly think about praying to lift up our son and lift up our family, that was pivotal in the entire situation, not only for the week that we were in the hospital, continually praying for healing and resurrection and all the things, but once they pronounced Axel that he had no brain function and he was deceased, the prayers continued and that was significant in my life and in my family in the beginning of really our grief journey that we went on and we're still on. Yeah. yeah. What would you say, uh, like, if you can answer, this is a hard question, I think, but like, what would, how would you characterize or talk about your faith before? You know, it's a funny question. I had talked to friends before. I had a friend who had gone through something hard, not devastating, but challenging. And I remember saying, I could never go through something hard. I don't have strong enough faith for that. I believe in the Lord. I love the Lord, but I'll be real. There's no way that my faith could stand. And then a short time forward, this was my story. And it's really a testament of foundation of faith. I only knew what to turn to and what the truth was because I had already established it years ago. Like you mentioned tools in the tool belt. I had them. I didn't even realize I had them. They're tools that I never needed or had used to that point in my life. I even knew what they were for. Right, right. I didn't even, I wasn't, I had them. I was not equipped to even use them in my opinion, but I had them and that was significant for sure. Will you tell a story about the ambulance? Sure. I love that story. So when we found Axel, of course, he was non-responsive, and my husband and I both did CPR, and that didn't have a response. But then the emergency vehicles, you know, came to our property, and they were they loaded Axel up and were leaving the property, and I was 
I was already praying, right, through the whole thing, even in the franticness of this this moment and this trauma. And, you know, you don't even know what to think or what to say or what to do or anything. You know, your mind is just a blur. You're just kind of moment by moment. And I was in the front seat of the ambulance. And as we're departing off my property, I turned to the ambulance driver and I don't I don't know anything about him or anything. And I just said, I need you to pray with me. Can you pray with me? I need you to pray with me. And it was, it was kind of funny because he's fumbling like with these buttons, right? He's doing his job, getting everything set up. And he just kind of nodded and he was like, okay, okay, give me a second. Okay. Okay. And then right as we pulled on the highway, he held his hand out and I grasped it. And honestly, I don't even know what I prayed, but just having someone there in that immediate moment of prayer is it's kind of remarkable. Yeah, it, I don't know why. I we sat and talked for I don't know three hours that day yeah. when I was first hearing your story. And this particular part of the story, I'm looking at Jen right now, and she <laughs> needs to stop. I know it is such a like for me. What I hear is you're like I needed the prayer. I needed that man. You led him. You yeah. as the mom who was so scared. Yeah. And and I know what it's like to. I mean, I might have left the other three. It. I mean, who knows where? Was anybody home with them? Because you panic and you get moving. Yeah. And your brain does not put together things that are logical. And that was your response. Yeah. And you thought you weren't prepared, that your faith was not prepared. And in just a second, you led him and you demonstrated faith to him that I swear he did not forget. He'll never forget. He yeah. will never forget that response. And I'm sure, you know, however many days later, he heard the outcome and he will remember that mom. So, I mean, just that little bit of story makes me know without even getting to spend all kinds of time with you, I know what God is doing and how God is using you. If that is your immediate response and God was able to use you even, even in that moment. Yeah. So anyway, I, and I'm not trying to overly glorify you because I know that it's really, really hard. And I know that you've had a lot of, bad moments and you'll have bad moments where we we ask a lot of hard questions of God. So, and I get that. And maybe we'll get to that. So anyway, I, I think it's think one of those good. things that when you're in the fire, what's really there, what you really are surfaces. And I can look back on that and realize, holy cow, my first response was prayer. I, I surprised myself, quite honestly. I can't believe that that was the first thing I thought to do because you think about all the times in your life when prayer is not your first response. Or your first response is expletives and you're like right. so disappointed mm-hmm. in your, the way that you handled something. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like there's so many other responses yes. that yes. we normally have. And yet in the hardest moment, the most traumatic moment in my life, my response was to turn to God. And it made me realize that I had more in there yeah. than I thought was there. Yeah. To God be the glory, right? right? It's it was it was a very humbling memory that I have yeah, now. That was a serious amount of grit right then. So okay, so then we're um he's he's been gone three years. Is yep, that right? Three and a half. October twenty nineteen. Okay. So what would you say over time, you know, I your faith has had a roller coaster? Would you I mean, how would you For talk sure. about the last three and a half years of of your faith? Whenever Everything first started happening. I kind of consider myself the spiritual leader of my home, um, the one who has the strongest foundation of faith. And I just felt like ultimately Axel wasn't the target of the enemy. 
because he was little and he was going straight to the arms of the father, right? He he didn't have any missteps in his direction and destination. I think the ultimate target was my family. And I called it grit at the time that I just took a stance, dug a stick in the sand and said, you're not getting my family. I'm not going to allow it to happen. And so as you know, going through grief myself, with my husband, with my children who are, are confused and, and having all these hard emotions. It's a hard thing for a child, you know, and to have to have the words to speak to them. I just kept reaffirming the character of God over and over and over again. And I told people, like my closest friends, like Jen, when I was going through the hard times, I said, I'm saying it and I'm telling them this, but I don't believe it. I don't, I know that it's true in my brain, but in my heart, it's not true. There's no way that God is good. And this is what I'm going through. God is good for everyone else, but not me. Everyone else benefits in this whole situation, but me and my family. But I just stood firm in it. And I continued to just identify God for who he is and praise him. And I heard a sermon just recently that really connected with me where in John 5, when all the people stop following Jesus, they turn around and leave. And Jesus turns to Peter and he says, you want to go too? And Peter says, where else would I go? And I thought, oh my gosh, that's what I did without even realizing it, knowing that there was nowhere else to go. There was no other option, but to just press in and trust him and follow him. And it's been a roller coaster for sure, you know, and it continues to be to some extent, right? Yeah, no, for sure. I I read when I was younger and not probably been through anything that couldn't be classified as very hard at all, a book by Lauren Winter who had been Jewish and like, like done all the things that a practicing Jew does and became a Christ follower and she wrote a book called The Mudhouse Sabbath, which is about the things she missed about the structure of the Jewish faith and things that she kind of still implemented. And I think it's the chapter on liturgy where she talks about how sometimes we say things over and over and over because they're true, whether we feel them or not. And sometimes when we say them, it changes our feelings. Yeah. That our feelings are not reliable. And, and she doesn't get too much into that part. But the I'll never forget that. I mean, I'm pretty confident I was either in college or right yeah. out of college. I remember her. that. Yeah. I so, remember you being like, this it's so good what it is yeah it it was it was again I was putting tools in a belt that Mm -hmm. over time you know I was gonna have to use too but I I will never forget that because there does come a point where yeah you are am I gonna say it am I gonna believe it yeah when my feelings don't align or when it doesn't feel like it matches what is happening in my circumstance Mm -hmm. for other people you know and even the if gathering this past weekend I did the a women's event and there is so much of this discussion that these these women these famous authors and and people that are facing a lot of warfare they're saying a lot of the same things mm-hmm. so it is gonna over time it's gonna have to become the way that we stand is do i believe this stuff even mm-hmm. when my circumstance doesn't match and what does yeah. god actually promise what are, mm-hmm. what are his, actually his promises because we act like or want to think that he promised the like American dream and ease mm-hmm, and comfort mm-hmm. and, you know, the picket fence. And he didn't promise any of that. Mm-hmm. None of that is actually at all in there. So then when things happen to us, we have to go back to, did I build a belief that he never promised? Is that why I'm feeling let down by him? So yeah, it's a, it's messy. And for you, you were having to go through some of that process 
yourself, but meanwhile, watching your kids go through it and trying to go through it as a spouse. Yeah. It's work. It, it takes a lot of effort. You could have given mm-hmm. up on it. Yeah. You could have just laid down. So. And it's funny, if you would have asked me at the time, I would have told you I was doing all that for them, for everyone else. And now stepping back and looking at it, I was preaching to myself. Because like you said, if I just sit in my feelings and if I allow that to be what's feeding me, then that's what I'm going to believe. But if I verbally speak the truth of God, the truth of his character, what he promises, all the things that he really is, then my ears hear it and my brain starts to believe it. Okay, that's good. That's really good. <laughs> so while you are walking through it, early, I think, Jen, you and I are, st- are starting to talk about it a mm-hmm. little bit too. So I asked you the other day when I was kind of getting this idea, I'm like, now having been someone who walked through grief and, and has been on the receiving end of either friendships that don't know what to do with you, don't know how to handle you anymore, mm-hmm. don't know what to say, so they say nothing, mm-hmm. um, people that disappear Having been in the same kind of realm, it was fascinating to me that you who has not been through mm-hmm. the loss of a child, you who, are, to, I mean, to really to my knowledge, doesn't have any kind of similar Mm-mm. heartbreak. Um, again, I'm not trying to belittle that I've lost grandparents or things like right, that. Right. But that is the order of life that, mm-hmm. that we expect that makes sense. those things to make yeah. sense. Yeah. sense. But then when you, you know, telling your six-year-old. Mm-hmm. you know, why God allowed his dad to die, or when you're talking to your kids about your toddler, it's different. It is, it yeah. doesn't, it's hard for our brains and hard for the order of, of the way we want our yep. kids to go. And so I was asking you, what made you step in? What made you, and you got all emotional because you just <laughs> love her so much. But, and I know the easy answer is God. Okay? Right. But yeah. the reality is you are better friends now. Yeah. Really. For sure. You yeah, really for sure. For sure. So you yeah. said some things and if you don't say them today, I'll fill you'll them remind me. <laughs> you said some really good things about what made you do that. So, I mean, kind of talk through as, as her friends. Yeah. Watching that. And really maybe was there temptation to, I'm, I'm not equipped. Right. It would be a lot easier to hope someone else. Yeah. Is there another person who can relate to put in this spot, please? I mean, I feel like Ultimately, it was the Holy Spirit, right? Like that God had aligned our paths to cross earlier. Making preparation. Yeah, exactly. So like we met, and I was thinking a lot about this after we even talked uh, briefly, is that you have friends as an adult that in like these segments, right? You have friends that you work with and you have friends that are really just the parents of your children's friends. And then sometimes those people become close friends. But like Monica and I got put together in the best way to form just a true friendship built on Christ. Like we were serving together. And I think that is kind of what laid that foundation of true friendship for no other reason than just the fact that God brought us together. And I think he intentionally brought us together knowing in his sovereignty this like path that was going to come come upon us. So yeah. really the when we moved from the country to there, from the city to the country at the same time, and again, that was all just, I think, orchestrated by God. We were both following God's path for our own families, and then he had made those paths come together. Mm-hmm. So we were just doing life together. And that's what I had said to you. Like, we were doing life together. Our kids were going to the same school. We were still serving together, going to church together, activities together. And then this was part of life. 
And so you just keep doing that life with each other. And I remember praying when Monica had, because it had happened on a Saturday night, but it wasn't until Sunday morning that she texted me and just told me what happened. And gosh, sorry. (laughs) I said I wasn't going to get teary. But just going to church and going to the altar and just praying. And it was the first time I really feel like pray without ceasing. I really knew what that meant because you just couldn't stop because it wasn't a my kid's been in a car accident and they died. It wasn't instant. It was kind of a longer path. There was time. Yeah. And there were signs. There were miracles that had happened throughout that week. And so we were just praying and asking everybody we knew, like you said, that would ever potentially pray. I mean, yes. If they've ever thought about it once, now is the time. It was like, we were like in the throne room battling. And I remember after Gosh, sorry. (laughs) I remember after they had declared him deceased and it was like, gosh, this letdown of like, we fought so hard and we believed so much. Like we believed so much. This was the way the story was going to play out, that this was going to be a miracle that looked different than how it ended up turning out. And so I remember God saying to me, I'm like in my bathroom praying because that's the only place I could find solitude in my life. So in my bathroom praying and God was like, I did what you asked. I healed him. He is healed. Now it's time to fight. And that was just, and I remember sending you this dramatic text message of like, like, I will be there. I will fight. I will fight for your family. I will fight for your marriage. I will fight for you because I knew like that was, that was where the real fight began. Yeah. So it was just God, like he spoke to me and like the Holy Spirit filled in the blanks when you don't know what to say. And we spent a lot of time just talking raw, like really raw conversations. And it was just like, you know, it wasn't anything profound. I just feel like, how are you doing today? And you don't have to make it sound pretty. Like really, how are you? And what, what can I pray about? What do you need? And just trying to create a place where... It could be real and not a facade. And so we talked a lot about like you being tired because it's exhausting. Grief is exhausting. Yeah. I thought I was like something was wrong with me. And somebody told me, Lauren, it is your body is heavy to yeah. hold it together. together. Keeping your crap together is exhausting. Yeah. yeah. Be tired. And I yep. was like, oh, okay. Yeah. And so and life goes on. Mm-hmm. So you're 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 carrying this burden and this grief and trying to process it. And life doesn't stop, no. especially with children. Right. Right. So you have to have some semblance of normalcy. I mean, I remember that we came home on a Sunday. My kids had to go to school Monday. Mm-hmm. They wanted to be at school. They wanted to be there. And I was in a mentality of no life stops. Mm-hmm. Life has stopped. Life will stop, and that's not how it works. And so, yeah, you're. it is exhausting for sure. What helped you not do that? Is it that they insisted that your kids were old enough to be like, no, I want to go to school, and you talked yourself out of that? Because I know there's another time, I think it was New Year's Eve, another time when you were like, no, everybody else gets to go move forward, and I don't want to. And so what do you think kept you from, there are people who stay in bed for months. Yeah. Or, I mean, you could have let other people. So what do you think kept you from, you can get stuck in concrete, you know? Yeah. I mean, honestly, it was, it just felt like that was a necessity. I felt like, uh, you know, I think part of it, 
I would think maybe was my one avoidance partly because if life goes on as normal, then, and that doesn't, doesn't work well, right? That doesn't carry long-term, but I'm sure that was involved in the beginning, but I just had such a burden for my children that I had to set everything for myself, not aside, just just a little out of the way so that I can have my moments when I can have them. And I had my moments, right? Don't get me wrong. And there were plenty of times where we had, everybody was home or whatever, and I just went in the bathroom and lost myself, right? But at the other, t- other moments with grit, you just have to choose. And that's what it was. I, I was choosing to make them and their deal a bigger deal than my deal. And it's hard. It's exhausting. It was so hard in all of, especially the first days. And one of the things that was so awesome about Jen, and I knew immediately how instrumental she was going to be in my grief process, because not only was she rallying the troops while I'm at the hospital, you know, in the PICU with my son, bathing him in prayer, singing worship songs, praising God, doing all the things. She was my boots on the ground. She was literally rallying people, reaching out to every resource she knew to get them to let them know about our situation and pray. And we had people worldwide Mm -hmm. praying for our family. Mm -hmm. It's quite astounding and remarkable. I mean, God's amazing, Mm -hmm. right? But it was the day of his celebration of life. And I always refer to it as planning a party I didn't want to plan, mm-hmm. you know, and and when it's a child, there's no one else to do it. I never even wrote an obituary for him because I wouldn't even know what to say. He didn't have kids. He didn't do all the things and leave a wife and have all of this. You know, he didn't have a, a resume. He didn't have any of that. I mean, he had like four words. What are you going to say, you know? But it was the day of his celebration of life and, you know, everything is awful, even though we've done all the preparing and we're getting ready to go. And Scarlett, who was two at the time or four at the time, needed pantyhose and we couldn't find any, nothing fit. And I text Jen and I said, I really need some white pantyhose for my daughter. And she said, I'm on it. (laughs) And she did. And you know how busy Jen is in life. And she literally dropped everything to be available to our family. She told her husband that. I can't be available to you today because Monica needs me. I mean, if that's not sacrificial love, it was so important and instrumental to me. And that was just the start, right? That was just the tip of the iceberg of her ministry to me. And I am so humbled that, (laughs) look at me. (laughs) I'm so humbled that God would bless me in that way that God would bring her into my life and allow me to have that, to have that person and that she would see fit to sacrifice for me and my family and the obedience that she had to the spirits leading to do that. It's incredible. Well, it's not, it's that embarrass not embarrasses me. (laughs) That humbles me because like, like you said, when you just, there was nowhere else to go. I just, it didn't it wouldn't have even occurred to me to not be there to not offer that because yeah. like when you have the opportunity to serve somebody in that capacity i mean it blessed me so much because okay but you didn't just like lose the wedding <laughs> right like right. laid down in the church yeah. absolutely and, and not everybody does that right 
and again, not trying to give you too much credit. Right. I just think it's really important for people to hear what is necessary. And not the spaghetti isn't important. Right. Gosh, I just told one of the ladies, Scott had this I, this attitude um, that our doors were open. And that was, mm-hmm. we were in the heart of COVID when he had cancer. Mm-hmm. And it would have been really easy for everybody to be like, don't, we don't want him to get sick. We don't mm-hmm. want him to be in the house to get sick. And instead, Scott was like, and, and the weather was actually like this where it was truly like the doors were open mm-hmm. like front and back people hung out and one of the ladies in our church when she fed us she'd make like homemade fettuccine alfredo or things that were like comfort food and she'd come and stay we wouldn't let her leave and so she'd eat dinner with us and i have visions of her sitting on the floor with my kids mm-hmm. playing with with my kids and with other people's kids i feel like that were there too but those are sacred days mm-hmm. yeah. where she was really like laying in the trench with us and yes it was food physical food we we that it, that took a load off of me to not have to feed mm-hmm. my family of 10 that day <laughs> but it was also something really special to have different you know different almost like grandparents other yeah. people mm-hmm. loving on my kids other people filling in the gaps so it, i'm not saying meals weren't important that those are sacred moments but you, you did more than that so mm-hmm. what would you say you learned watching her like mm. how your faith was challenged for sure well i mean in the same way that both of you guys talked about like do i believe the words that i say when life is easy and i have the most boring testimony ever so like my i have not had just dramatic challenges to overcome in my faith up until that point and obviously it wasn't my child so it's different but just i think i i said this to you it was like the first Thing that I had really been a part of that I, I couldn't reconcile. Mm-hmm. Like, your brain can't reconcile why this would happen. How could it possibly be good? And, like, just... You can't wrap it up. You mm-hmm. can't. It doesn't have no. an end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I had had, you know, losses before, even dramatic tragedies. But, like, there was a portion of them that you could, like, make sense of. And this was kind of the first thing that, like, I really, I remember going to church. So we have a great worship pastor at church. And Monica had just started to serve on the worship team. And you never even ended up leading worship on Sunday mornings. But for whatever reason, he just reached out and he knew that we were friends. And so there were a lot of people that reached out to me because they knew that we were friends and there was a couple of songs that were instrumental like when Axel was in the hospital that had just the Sunday morning that like immediately followed his accident and so I remember going back to church and then singing those songs mm-hmm. and it being brutal yeah like because they meant something to you in that circumstance and then you have to decide does it still yeah, yeah like do I still believe these words and we spent many Sunday mornings and we don't go to the same church service. So like I would text her and just be like, worship, cry emoji, cry emoji, cry emoji. <laughs> and so it's just like this brutality of like, uh, my head believes it. Like, I know that this is true. I will tell you, I believe what the God promises us in scripture is true. But then like making your heart follow it despite the circumstances. So I think that was a huge faith for me to realize that this world isn't perfect and that can still be okay. That we can say we are broken, this world is broken, and this isn't what God ultimately has for us, but I'm going to walk this because I know that there is something here 
that is for my good and his glory. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think it was just, it like matured my faith in a way that nothing has. And for a minute, it really hardened my heart in terms of like, yeah, I think so. And you question like, what in the world is all of this for? Like, yeah. why? <laughs> why do we have to live in a broken world with broken people? I love Jesus. All yeah. of these people have plenty of time to decide whether they love Jesus or not. And that's just not wanting to feel the pain. Not We had so many conversations where we literally just sat there and went back and forth about this is so stupid. This, is so this dumb. world is so dumb. <laughs> this is a horrible place. And... We, it was just real, right? It was, we, we had those sessions and then the other kind of sessions too, but it was, it was all the things. Yeah. 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 So I think it was just realizing that this is not where our like fairy tale is Yeah, and then being okay with it and then being like, okay, what's my job? Like, why, why am I here? The the action. Yeah. You can either hang out there and be like, this is all real dumb or, you know, unfair or not true. Yeah. We can we, yeah. we can lay down there or then go, okay, this is not our home. Yep. This is this is the, the world. I'm not supposed to like it here. I'm, yep. I don't belong here. Yep. Yeah. Now what? Yeah. Yep. Well, what does that mean my assignment is? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. That can kick you into some real yep. some real action. Yeah. And yep. boldness. So that that's a question. What how how does it manifest itself now? Like do you find yourself bolder? Do you find yourself gravitating to people in similar types of is God using you in similar types of pain or or maybe totally different? Um, what does it look like now? God's made me a crier now. <laughs> I'm like super empathetic to mm-hmm. everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk about in the Bible when it talks about one of the purposes of our suffering is so that we can bless other people through that whenever they have to face it because the world's broken and I will not be the last person to bury my son. Mm-hmm. I just won't. And that sucks. But regardless of what the suffering is, it gives you an open heart to be empathetic and to really hurt and to really feel and to, to, to really hold that burden for other people. And so, yeah, I cry at the drop of a hat now because I'm like super empathetic about everything. And that's a blessing for sure. As long as I have waterproof mascara, but it's, that's what been one of my really big uh, things that I've taken away and all the, it's, it's funny how when you've gone through suffering and people know that they kind of come to you because they're like, Hey, you went through this thing that was unimaginable and really, really hard. I just got to be honest. I'm having this. Can you help me? Well, and they look at you and they're like, mm-hmm. you're upright. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How, how, so how is can, that what happened? Yeah. yeah. I'll have people ask, like, are you willing to. Maybe you don't want to hash. No, I, I'm, mm-hmm. I am, let me use it. Amen. Let me give purpose to it. Yes. Like if I can help you somehow or we can walk this out and, and I'll even say, look, I know that when your husband has cancer, I'm not the friend that you want because you, I don't, I, I don't want you in my club. Mm-hmm. I will fight with you. I Amen. will pray. I, I will. Mm-hmm. So I, I, you almost feel like there's a tension there, but yeah, you're right. It, it either magnets people to us or in some cases it's a little bit polarizing. So yeah. if it's going to magnet people, then that I'm going to use it. Yeah. If that's how God's going to allow me to be used. So no, that's good. I think too, from an outside perspective, Monica has such a, I think now, like a couple years outside of the initial trauma is that you have an ability to see God's grace 
and goodness in things that I don't think most people yeah. could do. Because, like, there's just, we are still in Bible study together. Well, so we serve together in preschool ministry now again. Yeah. So last year, Monica and I were in BSF, and we had a classroom of two-year-olds. Yeah. And the, the place that God called me back to serving, because I had stepped away, I had taught preschool for years and years, and of course, the day of the accident, I, I stepped away. God called me back to serving, which was awesome, and then it was with two-year-old little kids, and I was like, you're what putting me mm-hmm. with two-year-old little boys. Are mm-hmm. you kidding me? It was amazing, though. And so to be able to walk through that, I think that was part of God's yeah. grace, too, because where we serve, it's not like we get to sign up and say, hey, I want to be with Monica and I want to be at this age group. Like you say, yes, I'm in. And then they place you. They say, God led us to put you here. Yep. And so to, and it was my first year back Mm -hmm. in preschool ministry too, just for other reasons. But so to be able to do that together, I think was really special. But then to see how Monica could have that serving experience and then see God's goodness and his grace out of it because going into it, it was like I super don't know scary. If I can do this, yeah, yeah. So I think that's that's something I've noticed. I think in the past year, just to see his grace and his goodness and things. And you talk about that, Monica, about things that you have seen that are good. Yeah. So what would you say you have seen that is good in light of? So obviously, we can talk about things that are good outside of, but in in light of in your life of in your family. In spite of the mm-hmm. circumstance in the last three and a half years, what, what have you seen? You know, in the beginning, my perspective was, okay, name the good things because you need to hold on to them. And so my good things were that Axel got to donate some organs. He saved a two-year-old and a three-year-old little girl. His kidneys went to a grown man that has four children. So he got to save lives. That's a plus. That's a good, right? Celebrate that. There's other people that look around that were peripheral of this, that got to look in and say, oh my goodness, this life is not promised to us. And every day is a gift and a blessing. I'm going to change my priorities. I'm going to be kingdom focused. Okay, awesome. That's a blessing too. And I hung on to those for a little while. And that was honestly the the list, right? That's all I had. That's all I had to go on. It's everything outside of me. None of that because I didn't see any good for me or my family. And now that we're further down the road, it's remarkable. Not only has God come and filled my cup because my cup fell so empty because I lost a huge part of me and every person in your life has a piece of you and some more so than others. And so I just felt empty And God has brought not only good friends, adults, but like these children. Mm -hmm. I can't believe that God opened my heart to love them, uh, to actually let them in and to uh, connect with them and feel them and love them and minister to them. It's incredible. It feels like these are my adopted children. And it's like he took my mom cup and he said, you have some space and I'm going to fill it up. You know, through especially the body of Christ. body of Christ is amazing, right? And the body does remarkable things. And when the body does what it's supposed to be doing, when it rallies and it loves people, there is so much life-giving through that. And I still get people who... I've interacted with for, you know, some time. And then they go, I didn't know that you were that Monica. Mm -hmm. I didn't know you were Axel's mom. 
we were praying for you then. I had no idea that was you. And we've built, you know, a friendship and relationship now. And so his goodness and his purpose is still being revealed. One of the messages that he gave me early on, which was really hard for me to process was I waste nothing. I promise you that I'm going to waste nothing as long as you let me. I said, okay. And I just think that it's continuing. I just envision this pebble drop right in the water. That's my buddy, my Axel. And it ripples and it ripples for generations and generations to come because it doesn't stop. And that's what God does. He just uses it to the very last drop. Sometimes in grief, people talk about how, you know, the first year, maybe first two years, people do a good job of loving you and then they fall off the planet, right? What would you say if you could design it, what would you want people to do? What now? How would you want people to, if you could, if you could tell people, hey, this is how to best serve somebody three and a half, five, seven, ten years down the line. I think one of the things you said that resonated with me was I had people like Jen who were very intentional, that they refused to let me be on my own, even in the times where I may have been resistant. They don't ask, they do. Right. Right. And they just insert themselves. Right. Yeah. They just with intent of goodness. And I think that I think God inspires people to know this is what you need to be doing. Kind of like you said, like you, they argue with themselves. Yeah. You're just telling people to not argue with themselves. Yeah. God tells you, I had somebody who would sneak and plant flowers outside my house at like 5 a.m. Oh, I love that. Yep. That's like awesome. goofy stuff that was like, no, it made me feel together. It made yeah. me not feel like I was letting things go that I had no time for. Yeah. And she was like, I called her a ninja, the garden ninja <laughs> that just showed up and planted flowers outside my house. So it's awesome. Yeah. That's a way that the Lord, the Lord used that same person to serve in lots of other ways. But yeah, yeah just I think, argue with yourself. Yeah. I think Lord. make yourself available. Right. And then whenever there seems to be a gap, insert yourself by the leading of the Holy Spirit. And I think one of the biggest things that really carried me through my grief with my good close friends was they were able to just sit in it with me. And we just, there's times whenever we sat, we cried, we didn't do anything, we didn't say anything. They can just say something as little as, this is so hard and I'm so sorry and I love you. And that's it. Because that's really all we need is to be in that moment validated that it's not okay and it's okay to not be okay. And I think one of the things that Jen and I do and I do with some of my friends consistently is we don't avoid it. We don't avoid the conversation. You know, I know a lot of people when someone has passed away, no one wants to talk about it. And they've used the words, I didn't want to remind you. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a funny term because right. there's nothing. You're not forgetting. Yeah. I haven't <laughs> forgotten. And yeah. there's nothing you're going to say to randomly remind me or tell you something you Exactly. Right. Like it's my reality. It's my 24 seven. So I think not avoiding it. Talk about them. Yeah. Talk about them. Celebrate them. Be happy. Be sad. Be all the emotions. Right. Just be real and validate that this is part of, you know, someone's story and someone's life and path. Yeah. No, that's I, I really appreciate you guys and your transparency, your honesty, because maybe we haven't had to be the friend to the same story. But we likely will. Mm-hmm. We likely will have someone else that we yeah. love that goes through something hard. We will likely have our faith questioned or yeah. or tested. We will, we will likely ask God hard questions at some point. 
And, and I think if we will talk about it, whether it's this story or it's other stories that are just true, real-life, regular people, that's the whole point of the podcast, mm-hmm. regular people that have decided to go, no, this is what I believe. Like, I'm not, I, like, dig my heels in. I'm not going to let the enemy win. And this yeah. is how I'm going to do that. Or I'm not going to lay down. I'm going to go start the thing. Or I'm going to go create this thing. Or I'm going to go fight this, whatever it is. That I think we have to hear that. Because we will... If we live here on this earth for very much longer, mm-hmm. we're going to run into something hard. We're going to run into these questions. So yeah. um, I think it's going to be challenging for people. I think it's going to be encouraging. And um, God's using it. Nothing's wasted. Not not, not your pain, not Axel's life, not not any parts of the story are, are wasted. So I'm super grateful for that. Thank you guys so much. Thank you so much for listening. If you have or know someone with an inspiring story, you can apply to be a guest at OrdinaryGrit.com. Be sure to connect with me on Instagram at OrdinaryGritPodcast to get to know me and my guests.